0: Some of you are like, I want candy for sitting through a sermon. I was like, "Great, hey, thank you, Pastor Adrian. That was wonderful. Um, by the way, I did see uh, that if you are bored, there are um, little notes. Uh, they say ages three or seven. So if you're over three or seven and get bored, there's some notes in the back. The color, it can be very, can be the most exciting to have the all the sermon time. would be great to get some going on there. Yesterday, uh, I had the privilege, you know, we have great technology in the world today. One of the, you know, some things that we do in our culture make me not I'm not a fan of them. Some things are absolute miracles. There's this absolute miracle, and I'm not sure if it's a global culture, or am I popping? Is that me? Am I? All right. Okay. Uh, I'll try to be very still. <laughs> One of the things that about American culture that I love, and I'm not sure it's a global issue, is I go into my house and I find all the junk and crap that I own and I put it on my driveway. People come, strangers come by and pay me to take it away. It is a genius. Uh, it's called the garage sale. So if you're in the mood sometimes, put we'll crap on your front yard and people we'll come pay to take it away, it might work. You gotta have a lot of folks doing it together so it's more fun. So we had our big garage sale yesterday. And uh, those are always interesting times about bartering over, you know, is this a nickel or a quarter or how much for this? I don't care. Just take it away. Let's go away. Um, today we're going to um, think about Luke, our text is Luke 9, 51, um, but before I get there, there are kind of two main ideas, and Pastor Adriana kind of started us here. Um, first of all is this, how important is it to learn from others' mistakes they made, and the second part of our lesson is, what indeed is the cost of discipleship? Now let me ask you this, uh, I'm going to put you in two categories, right? Um, if there was a pot of boiling water on the stove and I told you, don't put your hand in there, it will burn you. How many of you were the child who decided, I think Peterson is crazy, I'm putting my hands in the water? Funny bubbles look great, okay? All right, three of you are honest, there are more, maybe five. Now, um, so the rest of you are assuming if I told you not, you wouldn't do it, correct? Just follow others, okay, all right? Um it's amazing in following the leader when we choose to follow the leader and who we choose to follow, right? Um, so here's the interesting question. Um, and is it easier to be a leader or a follower? Let's just do a survey question. Is it easier to be the leader? Raise your hand. OK? All right? Okay. Easier to be a follower? Raise your hand. OK? Some of you with your kids are still asleep. It's OK. It's easier just to be sitting there. Um, it could be hard both ways, right? In some regard, the leader, kind of decide what's going to happen. Um, but when we're the follower, remembering can be hard, but also you have to come up with anything. Do so I turn it off and be easier? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't really need this. I thought I was pretending anyway. I'll try that. Okay. Hey, Is that better? more popping. All right. Very good. Um, to be a leader uh, can be challenging. you got to navigate a path. You have to know where we're going. Uh, and so it takes kind of uh, thoughtfulness. Um, and being a leader and, you know, leader's heart, maybe a follower's heart, like what are the instructions? Um, so it can be challenging both ways. Um, but sometimes some of us uh, don't always learn from the mistakes of others. Um, sometimes some of you like the boiling water looks kind of fun. The bubbles look exciting. Um, and we navigate a path that's hard to offer. So Luke 9, and uh, we'll get to the end of the chapter, is a powerful chapter full lots of things. And the question of Luke 9 is this, are we invited, we are invited to learn from the mistakes of others. Um, And and again, I think there's some line, someone made it up, that um, it's not that you're stupid when you do something wrong, but but when you keep doing the same thing over and over again, I think the results will change, right? So here's the invitation. So let's kind of walk through, open your Bibles again, Luke 9, kind of walk through the very beginning to get to our text today because our context always matters. So in the, the first 17 verses, um, Christ begins to send out the 12. So again, they had their early seminars. They got really excited. He sends the 12 out to drive out demons, to cure diseases, help bring about the kingdom. And it's important that we see the disciples, and kind of this is one of the places they get it right, are doing pretty well. And it's important you see they're not simply here to make individual lives better, Again, it was really important to see in that first century even today that when with a, a demon cast out or someone healed, that was a declaration that God's kingdom was coming. But this is a really important idea we don't always catch. We come to the Lord in prayer asking God to do things for us. It is not only to make our lives simpler. It's as we are being healed, God says, "Well, then you can you then go and help Others along the way. See, sometimes we just want our own personal healing and then go back to a life and just worry about ourselves. But in the Gospels, over and over again, if I go to my favorite text, is the blind Bartimaeus in the Gospel of Mark, where he's healed of blindness, but then he goes and follows Jesus who's on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. And so, again, sometimes, again, I wonder if we just want Christianity to come kind of quick fix, fix our current problem. You know, we'll follow until our problem is solved. We go do lead our own lives. But the invitation is this what does it mean to follow Christ all the way? So things are going pretty well. But if you look at those instructions in the beginning of chapter 9, they're kind of leave things behind. Forget the GPS, forget the cell phone, um, to trust God. What do we do before GPS? How do you get around? The maps is exciting. You turn the wrong way. No one would tell you. You just kept driving the wrong direction. But now the GPS says, um, uh, turn, please turn ahead. Um, have you ever had to live in a place in your life? And here's the challenge for us this morning. where You've had to really trust God. Now, I'm sure many of you had places in your life that were very difficult or hard. You could tell stories. Um, the reality is, right now, it is likely You know, we as humans live more comfortable lives right now than the entire human race to this point. So congratulations, you've made it. Now, not all of you have had super easy lives, and we're not saying your life right now is super easy. Um, But the reality is this, and the blessings God gives are wonderful, but the invitation is this. Sometimes it's hard for us who have most of our needs met to live by faith. So the question is this. What does it mean for you to live by faith today? What does it mean to have to trust and really rely upon God? And the reality is you might have several things in your life today, um, whether there are concerns about your work or your health or relationships or other things. But one of the challenges when we get very self-sufficient lives, and I love being self-sufficient, is to say, God, what does it mean that I'm really going to trust you today? And do I, I live in areas that are so comfortable and safe, I actually give God no place to move or to work. Um, I came to, I grew up in Seattle, I came to NNC at the time uh, to go to college, and I met my um, then, now wife, um, and, and I told her, hey, by the way, God's called me to ministry, hooray, isn't that fun? She was like, well, okay, I guess, so here we go. Um so we moved to uh, Kansas City before cell phones and before um, we had MapQuest. It was a little in-between thing, right? The internet wasn't really invented yet. It was also being invented, I think. I can't remember. Um, but we had a big, like, atlas, right? An you pull it out. Like, 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 every map, and you kind of drive it. And um, we were headed out to Kansas City. And I think even still now, for us, we were both largely raised in the Northwest. Kind of driving out to Kansas City, we didn't know many people. Um, And many of you, I know, especially those who run in the military, had to deploy in lots of places and go to new towns and have to make new friends and navigate new places. But for us, our simple move as 20-nothings was launching out to Kansas City and trusting God. And it was nerve-wracking. We didn't have any jobs. Um, I was going to go to school. But how we were going to eat, where we were going to live, all those things to kind of figure out along the way. Well, we were in Kansas City for a while, and Kansas City became home. I ended up finishing my master's degree uh, ended up getting on as a youth pastor at a church in town there. And life got again really comfortable. Um, while our family was in away, way, the church became like family. Um, but all of a sudden, we knew our time at, at that church was about ready to be the end. And so we were praying. Um, I decided, hey, let's try this PhD thing. That sounds fun. And so uh, we, we applied some places and got in a few places. And we ended up heading to Chicago. Um, and Chicago was rough, right? Um, Chicago probably has the worst weather of any city in North America. Um, It is really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter. There are like eight nice days in the whole year. It's it's kind of awkward. Um, But again, we had got to a really comfortable place in Kansas City. It became home. And all of a sudden, going to Chicago, we knew literally nobody. Um, Again, we kind of bought a house, didn't have any jobs, and we kind of figuring things out. Some of you have done this many times. For us, again, we had a child this time. Our son Noah was born in Kansas City. It was a place for us to be able to really trust God. I know many times for many of you in this room, you've, you've had several stories like this, where God was inviting you into a new chapter of your life, and to navigate it was hard. And part of the question today is, what does it mean to live and trust in God? Well, as the chapter goes on, we, the, the person of Herod pops up. Herod um, was a kind of a, a, a Jewish ruler, kind of put there by Romans, so he was kind of a traitor. He wasn't really a great guy overall. Um, he had had John the Baptist beheaded, but all of a sudden he's confused, like, like John was dead but this Jesus guy's popping up, and he's causing trouble for him, um, which reminds me of an important lesson in this early chapter here. Um, and it would be interesting if you believe this or not. The kingdom of God as it goes forward, cannot be stopped. Now, it is along the way people can, like, get in the way of it and try to slow it down. But one thing I wonder if we have this confidence is that God's kingdom is here and comes more and more and more every day. Well, then we have the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you guys feed them. Now, we're going to have, a, for those newcomers, uh, a taco lunch today. There'll be a handful of folks. Um, But imagine if we just had, you know, Don, six cornbread and three sets of ribs and said, feed 5,000. Well, that might be tough. Um, Do we, in Christ's name, say, you feed them. Again, where are there places in our life where we're really leaning on God to guide and direct us? Then they have that great section where after the crowds are talking, he says to them, who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter gets it right, kind of. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus starts messing with their ideas. He says, that's true. But then begins, I think, in these kind of sections here, kind of times, when Jesus tells them, by the way, I'm going to die and suffer many things. Not great passage of um, the cost of discipleship, to find your life, you'll lose it, and to lose it is find it. The transfiguration in Luke. Luke 9 is a powerful chapter where literally Christ is transcends um, and transfigured. And and Elijah and Moses are there taking the law and the prophets. Um, But then Jesus says again, by the way, I am going to die. Now, again, the disciples, you know, um, that makes them nervous. But it's important we hear they're not only nervous about that because of what that meant for Christ, but especially in some of the gospels, Peter actually rebukes Jesus. You ever tried that before? Rebuking Jesus? Good luck with that. Um, and Peter says to him, "You won't do this." So actually Jesus rebukes Peter and says, and, and, and Matthew and Mark, Satan get behind me. He' become an adversary." And the reality is Peter was not only worried about Jesus, Peter was also worried about who. Peter, right? And so, again, to be this disciple of Christ, meant often you kill those connected to him. Well, then we have this kind of major transition that happens right in our text today. Um, In the beginning of Luke, you have Jesus' birth, his ministry in Galilee, the miracles, and then this transition. The text will say he turned his face towards Jerusalem. So in Luke, and we'll be in Luke now for the next several weeks, um, when we go through these texts, we're reminded that Jesus now recognizes that he's now moving towards Jerusalem, which means death and resurrection, well, death and resurrection are coming, but it looms large over this. So, finally, our text, a lot of build up to it. Here's our text today. So if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand with Luke 9, 51 to 62. Our passage is kind of two main areas to look at here. We'll break them down one at a time. Luke 51, Luke nine fifty one, As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up into heaven, he determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of them. Along the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the Samaritan villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But Jesus turned and spoke sternly to them, and they went on to another village. As Jesus' disciples traveled along the road, someone said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and birds in the sky have nests, but the human one has no place to lay his head. Then Jesus said to someone else, Follow me. He replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead but you go and spread the news of God's kingdom. Someone else said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go home and say goodbye to those in my house. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand in the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we have kind of two main sections of our text today. Um, the first one is this, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and what you have immediately is resistance. Um, one of the things, uh, and one of the texts we actually played around with last week when I was at camp, was that, that section from Matthew chapter 7, with the narrow road and the wide road, right? How many of you like wide roads over narrow roads? Okay, most of you. How many prefer for the narrow road? Okay, all right, there's three Christians here, congratulations. That's all right. Um, they both have their pluses and minuses. Um, uh, the drive, you know, I'm about to drive in a few weeks or going on vacation with my family. I'm driving a lot, it's most of the country, actually. Um, and I will say, they each have their own advantage. Uh, when I have a long trip ahead of me, like, get me on a big freeway, eight lanes, no cars, and let's just go. If I fall asleep, I can kind of wander back and forth and not hit anybody. Um, but I will say, I, I also really enjoy the drive to McCall, right? McCall's not too far, it reminds me, for those of you who even know Washington, the drive from Seattle to Leavenworth, kind of that, the drive in the canyon there is beautiful. I will say I really like, in the right car, narrow roads, right? They can kind of maneuver and go. Um, so narrow roads have a joy to them because they're really, you know, death at any moment. A good to keep you awake and peril there. Um, but it's interesting that for the analogy here, the cost of discipleship is that narrow road. Um, any, any. This is now, any snow skiers here? All right, okay. All right, is this snow mountains and skiing? Okay, three of you. So now, it will then not work for you. Um, real quickly, on on the slopes, there are different colored runs. Right, it's very simple. Back to the ABCs. You have green runs and blue and black. Um, green are very wide and easy. Blue are harder. And black, and of course, black is called a diamond or a double black diamond. That means you're going to die slowly or quickly, right? Um, In this life of discipleship, Jesus says anybody can get on the big, wide interstate. In fact, you just show yourself, find yourself there. But to get on a black diamond, it requires continual skill and lots of prayer, right? Um, But it is the road of life. The reality is sometimes that wide road is easier but in that analogy of Matthew seven, that road leading to destruction and death. So in our text today, Jesus is asking us this question: Do you want to be a disciple, and what is the cost involved? So they have this weird scene. Jesus says, "I'm going to Jerusalem." They go to the place of Samarita, Samaritan areas. Now, those of you who know the Samaritan, um, they are not liked by the Jews. Remember, they're kind of the half-breeds. They're there. You know, they're actually, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's why it's so weird. Imagine the parable, parable of the Good Samaritan be the parable of the good, I don't know, North Korean. I don't know. Um, think of a person for whom our society would kind of push to the, the you know, an, an enemy to us. And that's whom Christ says is good. So they didn't like the Jews. Jews didn't like them. And so they're going into the, the Samaritans area. And then um, the disciples get resistance. And they say, Jesus is going on in Jerusalem. You can't go through here. And so I... Often, actually, is the case that many Jews go around the whole area to avoid it, but they're going right in. But then they get turned away, and the disciples are not happy. What do you do when you don't get your way? Happy, joyful, praise songs. Um, I'm going to stab somebody in the face. That sounds like we're still working on the loving of Jesus. good. Um. There's a story from Elijah. Isn't Elijah in the Old Testament he was a prophet. Um, he went to the same area in Samaria, and he was not received well. So Elijah, you know what Elijah did? Called down fire from heaven and consumed them all. Elijah liked that fire from heaven thing. He did it often, right? Now, Carmel was good. This one was, you know, anyway. But it's in 2 Kings uh, chapter 1. The disciples know this story. Well, we've got Jesus. He's better than Elijah, right? Elijah was just there kind of honoring Jesus in the Transfiguration. So they said, hey, uh, we went into this place, and they gave us the cold shoulder, so we've got an idea. Let's show them your boss. Let's call down the fire and take him out. And Jesus, this is not my paraphrase, says, I mean, no. In fact, we kind of skipped over it. At the beginning of the sending out the 12, one of the things he says in verse 5, I believe, is if you go to a place and are rejected, you don't call down fire and burn up to hell. You kind of should take the dust off your feet, right? It's a symbolic thing of saying you tried to be care for us, but in in, when you're being inhospitable, we're just going to move on to the next place. What's curious about this way of being a disciple is God's all about reconciliation and not the use of a violence. It is curious, in Luke, this story of the Good Samaritan uh, is the story Christ tells. In John 4, you have this great, powerful scene of Jesus and the woman at the well at Samar- in, in, in the Samaritan village there. So the issue the issue is this. Jesus' mission was not come to destroy, but to save. So in the part two, now, for those of you who um, like Jesus our second part of our passage might be awkward. Jesus seems kind of harsh. Remember those verses we had? Um, and again, what he's intensifying again in the sending of the 12 is, number one, when you're rejected, you're called just to kind of to, to move on, um, not to call down fire from heaven. But then these folks kind of, in fact, this section is called the would-be disciples. I wonder how many sometimes I'm a would-be disciple. And in, in this text here, to be honest with you, Jesus is kind of harsh. But one of the things I think Jesus wants to remind us is to be a disciple means we're going to be on this narrow road. And the question is, we got to count the cost of where do you really want to be? Of course, Christ, Christ will invite us all along the way, but which road do you want to be on? So these three kind of characters. Number one, um, I'll follow you wherever you go. Oh, really? So Jesus tells him, well, I, you know, this is not an easy road to hoe. I don't have any place to sleep. You still want to follow me then? In fact, again, is why it's so important for the next few weeks as Jesus turns towards Jerusalem in the in the shadow for all the Gospels. This is what's coming is Christ's death. And by the way, uh, this is now a spoiler alert, um, Jesus goes to Gethsemane, and he's praying. Disciples are all sleeping, which is part of the problem, not being prepared. They come up. Soldiers come. Judas comes. Peter wants to whack the sword. Jesus says, you shall not fight. So what do they do? They flee. And all of a sudden, who's going to be a disciple? They're all gone. So when this disciple asks, makes this claim, I'll go wherever you're going to go. What we know as both this person And the disciples, they were out. By the way, a great alliteration is this for us. In being a disciple, we're tempted to fight or flee. And the great line is, those who flee would want to fight but know they would lose, right? But instead, to be a disciple, we're called to follow. And again, I don't know if I want to follow all the time. If you're going down a road, and what's so weird, of course, is the great party on Palm Sunday. I'll be on that. I'll follow you then. But when the road, that's the wide road. And they're, you know, praise be to Jesus. I'm in this, I'm in an entourage, right? Great. But when the road got really narrow later in that week, they all abandoned. By the way, different sermon is this. God never gives up on us even when we failed. Um, Peter, of course, Betrays Jesus three times, but comes back to him and says, You've not been disqualified. So the good news is if you haven't sometimes in your life, thought about this cost of discipleship, but we failed. And I I've had my times too. God says, Well, it's time to follow again. God doesn't give up on us, even though sometimes we've given up on ourselves, but God keeps inviting us. So again, this claim, I'll follow you anywhere, and Christ says, Oh, really? You will. It's going to be a challenging life. Second one is this: um, I have to go and, and, and bury bury my father. In that, in that custom, then they were legally bound. Children were sons generally bound, legally bound to bury uh, their their parents. That's kind of the reasons why they didn't have social security back then. Um, they, if you didn't have any, by the way, being not having kids is a real problem for you because he was going to take care of you when you died. But Jesus, says, let the dead bury their dead. That's a weird phrase. What we think it might mean is this. Those who are spiritually dead to the kingdom, go ahead and bury folks who are physically dead. This is where the kingdom exists. In other words, if you're, if you're spiritually dead to what God's doing in the world, go ahead and do those same laws, but that's not the way of the kingdom. Now, again, again we've got to be careful what it means that we you know, can't leave our parents dying on the road. But the point is this. It also connects here to say, well, now's just not a good time for me, God. I've got other more important things I'd rather do. When it's convenient for you, then I'll be a disciple. And again, we often want to have a compassion that's calculated based on when it's convenient. More alliteration. That's so exciting. The final one was this. He says, well, I'll follow you. But they couldn't tweet or call. Let me go home first and tell them. Now that seems like a pretty reasonable request, doesn't it? But Jesus says, if you put your ox, your hand in the plow, and look back, you're not fit. Now, again, if we're honest, this feels very un Jesus-like, right? What's curious is you think about the the other disciples who were called. Uh, We think of Matthew, James, and John. The scriptures kind of say, you know. Jesus called, and they left. Now, again, we don't want to give too much, um, careful how far we push the text, but the, the question is simple. with All three come together. There are folks who want to be a disciple on their own terms. When it's convenient, when it's comfortable, when, you know, the time feels right to you. And the call of discipleship is God saying, will you come now? Because see, no matter, back to the analogy of the wide road, Matthew 7, that wide road, it is leading to destruction. The narrow road leads to life. So any moment when we're on that wide road, um, you know, you're missing out on the life God gives us. So be a disciple. Do we really want to do it? And sometimes I think, um, well, for me, uh, do you guys part of the, the Enneagram cult? You know, you know what the Enneagram is? Okay, not, never mind. Don't worry about it then. It's a new cult coming to Mountain Home pretty soon. It's already hit Boise. It's that a personality profile test called the Enneagram, right? Okay. Okay, never, that's okay. Never mind. My personality is this I like to be in control. I like to be in charge. I like to be responsible. So the question is, for, for Brent, the question was this. Brent, do you trust me? Do you live in ways, not to be irresponsible, but do you live in ways where you allow yourself to follow me even when it's not convenient, when you can't guarantee success or happiness or joy, that you've controlled and contrived? I have like to control the environment, right? When I get into a room, if I'm leading it, I want to control the parameters. When I was a youth pastor... I want to make sure kids felt safe. I want to control all the moments of that event. That actually wasn't bad. But in life, too often, I want to do the same thing with God. And say, God, I want to control, I want to make sure there's fun today, ice cream before I go to bed, and make sure we're good to go. So our text, which is kind of tough today, to be honest, Jesus says, do you want to be a disciple? He wants you to. But here's the thing to got to Be careful. To be a true disciple is not just to add-on on the side. It is to consume all of who and what you are about. That's the invitation. What does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us to be a disciple at that level of costliness? It is the road to life. Um, but to be honest with you, sometimes I think we've had a Christianity it was kind of watered down. We're not looking for a fight. We're not looking to be, but we want a Christianity that just works on our own terms. What I've learned is this. Um, uh, God will keep loving and pursuing us, but when I have tried to navigate or manipulate my own life, things have not gone well at the end. Today, the good news is this. This is a hard word, right? Um, the Gospels, um, it's life giving but it's hard to hear. I I fail sometimes to live into that cost of discipleship. But the good news is God says, even today, I want to help you do it. We'll celebrate in a few moments the Lord's Supper, communion. In the Lord's Supper, it's a meal that Christ first instituted with his disciples. I think several meals, to be honest, in the Gospels could be considered Eucharistic. By the way, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, communion, all the same thing. Jesus takes the Passover meal and transforms it. But it's a meal, first of all, it says this. Um, It's not just simply bread and juice, although our bread is gluten-free, for those of you who have that issue, so don't worry about that. You can partake. Um, It says, I am offering my life to you to help you on that road. Because the reality is this. I can't, you can't be a disciple on our own power and strength. But God's grace and God's strength can help us. God's spirit can empower us. We then do it together and encourage each other. When it's not fun and the black diamond is hard and the road is narrow and you don't like it because it's so difficult. God says you can do it. Don't settle what's for easy and convenient. Real life is found what's costly, to have compassion for that neighbor or that coworker or that boss, to love that person who is very hard to love. The Lord suffers a meal that God can help us do it. And also in this meal, we do it together. As all meals are, it's a, a meal that kind of brings us together as the church. Um, to literally, the body of Christ is remembered. But as it's a meal of healing, this meal then also invites us to go out and to be Christ's body and blood in the world. Do you have any um, Samaritans in your life right now who are in opposition to you? Are you tempted like the disciples to call down the fire? Right? Um, who are the people in your life who are in opposition to you? Who are the folks in your life who are hurting and broken on the, on the sidelines? And again, let me tell you this. You can't, I can't, we can't do it on our own strength. We're going to fail. But if we want to invite, be invited on this great road to life, God will help us do it if we want to experience that joy and that hope. So with this meal, I'll invite you to come. in the Church of the Nazarene, This is a meal for those who are baptized to renew your covenant of baptism. But also, if you're not baptized, any person here who's wanting more of God's love and God's grace and God's strength, wanting more of God's forgiveness in your life, this meal is also open to you. So I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing. I'll invite the servers to come forward. Give you a few more instructions at this time.